Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. Hello, everybody. It is true. We are still alive. And this is episode 12. Um, Today, we're going to give an update on what's been going on with us to try and explain why it's been six months (laughs) since we've made an episode. I cannot believe it's been that long. (laughs) I can't believe it's been that long either. Y'all, the devil has been keeping us, okay, (laughs) from recording these episodes. The devil is a lie. I'm telling you, it's just every time we've try to get together it just hasn't worked so but we're We've here trying now. to get other guests and it just hasn't lined up so you're stuck with us and our crazy family's downstairs so if you hear anything in the background it's them it's them yeah we just re-listened to our first episode which we recorded <laughs> in 2018 and realized that we mentioned a lot of times how we were going to build on things <laughs> and we maybe never really did We think we probably built on things a little bit while we were talking to guests, but we figured it probably would be good to update you on what's been going on in our lives. I think we never really thought that so many people would be willing to come on our Rinky Dink podcast, and it's really been cool because there are so many people who have and more people who want to just share, Mm -hmm. and so it's really been a super cool experience. So just to update everybody, um, in case you haven't listened to our first episode or any previous episodes, we are best friends and we, by only an act of God, have ended up adopting um, siblings. Our kids are three out of eight in a sibling group. Christina's daughter is now seven Mm -hmm. and my sons are 11 and 15 (laughs) About to have birthdays here soon. Yes. And we haven't been friends our whole life, actually. No. Um, we just met about, what, five years ago? Five or six years ago? Yes. So that's another really cool thing, just by going to the same church and going to the same home group. And here we are. Here we are. And since our first episode, we finalized the adoption of our kids. Um, myself in December of 2018 and Christina... In October October of 2019. Of 2019. Yeah. And so first thing that we wanted to kind of talk about is how does adoption change things? So I had my boys for about a year and some change before our adoption finalized. And I had my daughter for almost three years before her adoption was finalized. So there were a little bit of different situations, but the reactions between our kids were all three different, I think. My daughter... Like I said, had already been with us three years, and we had gotten over a lot of our initial struggles the first year and a half. Uh, Some of those behaviors still exist sometimes, but uh, for the most part, she was already settled into our family. Uh, She had been calling us mom and dad for a while. She had her baby brother. Things were really secure for her. So after her adoption, we honestly didn't see much change in her. Uh, We didn't see much change in her until another place, but... She happily took our last name. We we asked her about that. And before she was not okay about taking our last name, about a year before her adoption. And then it just shows that God's timing is so perfect because she was excited to have our last name before her adoption. She would practice it, uh, spelling it. And we have a difficult last name. And 
spelling it and telling people her new last name. And so I'm really thankful that even though I was frustrated in the process that it took so long that she was excited about it and fully embraced it. So overall, she's been doing really well after the adoption. And I think she's just happy to have that last name and just to make it official that she's part of our family. Different experience <laughs> for my children. It's even between between the two. My younger child definitely was in a season of kind of testing the safety and the permanence of the home. He didn't really have a necessarily a resistance to the adoption. But there wasn't always kind of pure excitement about it either. There was kind of this not always sure. Um, the name situation, um, my boys are older. They pretty consistently didn't want to change their name, which we were fine with. Um, and that was something I actually got some resistance from other people about sure. where other people kind of wondered, you know, did that bother us? Did that hurt our feelings? And it never really did. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It probably would have felt nice if they wanted our name. But at the same time, I completely understand how it would feel weird to give something up that you have just had for such a long time. Especially because most of their other siblings have that last name. Right. Whereas in my daughter, she had a different last name than the rest of her siblings. Maybe if she would have had the same last name, maybe she would have been more well, hesitant. I hope one day we can have our kids on this podcast. I know. And they so can cool. talk oh about gosh. their experiences being adopted kids. But after the adoption for my younger child, we really saw a stabilizing. He really bonded to us, owned us as his parents. And we really saw kind of a decrease in behaviors, negative behaviors. An increase even in, like, school engagement, um, just cooperation at home. I mean, he has his moments. He's a middle school boy. But for the most part, pretty level. For my older child, kind of the opposite occurred. He was pretty volatile about the adoption the whole time, even up to the day of the adoption. Um which we always told him was his choice, and we never forced him. We even had multiple conversations about him not wanting to be adopted and how you know we would still love him, and we would honor that decision if that's what he wanted to make. But at the end of the day, he did decide that he wanted to be adopted. However, I think internally, he hadn't fully accepted that we talked about this a lot in one of our previous podcasts we talked about attachment uh, and I believe I did reference this a little bit but my older son really has a lot of unresolved trauma and attachment coming from biological family coming from the passing of his biological father um, in 2019 and Based on all that, just really I don't think was in the place to really be able to receive us as his parents the way that my younger son was. And this led to a lot of behaviors with him. Almost the fact that we were trying to be loving and we were trying to be his parents 
was almost a trigger that would escalate the behaviors. So you can imagine how that puts you in a pretty tough situation that when you try to be kind or you try to simply parent, that is the thing that most escalates your child. Um, Without going into extensive, extensive details, um, he was hospitalized once due to some behaviors and depressive things, and then we transitioned to having some pretty intensive in-home therapies, all of which were proving not to be effective, and not because of any of the providers, but really my son just was not interested, not engaged, not motivated whatsoever, and that eventually led up to us looking for some residential treatment for him, which we did identify in January of this year. So that has been a really big, really big change in our family and in our household. And it's been a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just hearing you sum that up doesn't even seem like it does it any justice. No, because <laughs> it doesn't. It seems like, it doesn't and do I know justice. we're just trying to protect a lot of the story, but it was not a decision that they obviously took lightly, and it was seemed like a forever of just darkness, <laughs> to be honest. It seemed yeah. like... You it was know, rough. And I wasn't even living it. And it was rough. So, yeah, it was, it was a really... I mean, I think maybe you can even um, speak to the impact it was having on me. Yeah, I person. was worried about Patricia and her well-being because she's a two, like I am too on the Enneagram. Enneagram. <laughs> and if you haven't taken that, if Patricia ever meets you, she will make you. And <laughs> so we are just givers and we care about people. And honestly, the most, I think, awesome but yet burdening thing about a two is just feeling everybody else's emotions so hard. And so mm-hmm. she was feeling her son's emotions, her husband's emotions, and her own, and then I was feeling hers, <laughs> and just honestly kind of felt helpless, and I, and I know in many ways she did too, and mm-hmm. I just noticed her, you know, just losing a little bit of herself, because she was trying so hard to give to everybody around her, and um, I was just worried about that, so I know this wasn't a decision that was taken lightly at all, and I know it hurt her as much as, you know, she mm-hmm. knew it was the right decision, and I know... I mean, you had talked to me about just before when you were struggling through that, making that decision, how you didn't want to feel like a failure, like you didn't want to feel like you were failing him, and um, and I and you knew down deep down that you weren't, and you expressed that as well. But I mean, just as a parent, as a mom, yeah, making that decision for sure, um, having to say that, you know, my child's at the point where I really can't help him. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done everything I can, and I really can't. I don't know what else to do. Um, it definitely helped to have other professionals mm-hmm. tell me that also, mm-hmm. that they agreed and to help me see that it wasn't just me, but I was definitely fatigued mm-hmm. in pretty much every way possible. And I think a lot of people go through that. Not everybody in the same way, um, but there, there are definitely, there's... I work in residential treatment, and there's a lot of kids in residential treatment that are adopted kids who have adoptive parents, and they need out-of-home placement, sometimes for their own safety, 
or for the safety of their families due to the nature of their behaviors, or in my case, because the family environment is triggering to the child and they almost need some separation to be able to process those things. Yeah, that was a long, long process. and Honestly felt like I was just keeping my head above water for mostly the entire time Mm -hmm. that our son was home with us and not because we don't love him but just because it just was really really stretching it was really stretching time so it's hard right now that he's you know not at home with us but I do I see already that he's making progress there that he was not making with us and for that, I am grateful, and it does reassure me that it was a move that we needed to make. Can you share a little bit about, for others who might be wondering, mm-hmm. when anybody, when any child goes into this kind of care, mm-hmm. is the goal to return? Because he's older, right? So mm-hmm. what can you just share a little bit about what you know usually, especially since you work in that field too? Yeah, I think it depends on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I think our ideal situation would be that he would return home. At the same time, that has to be something that he wants and is willing to work for. And I have learned through this process that for my own mental health, he can't come back home if he doesn't really want it. That it's not good on any of us living in the house. And that's tough because their kids... But at the same time, they have to have some sense of agency and desire to participate in what it means to be a part of a family. But I was fortunate enough to find something that is not funded by Medicaid. So there's not this pressure um, by a payer source that he has to you know, be functioning at a certain level or else he will come home. So a lot of people are in those situations where their insurance is paying for their child's treatment. And once that treatment is, quote unquote, successful, the child is usually returned home or returned to, you know, a family member. They're not they can't just stay. We're in a slightly different situation because um, our son is in a ministry based facility. So it's we're private pay. So it's not, there's not as much pressure that he has to like be done at a certain time. But I will say, if you're looking into something like that, that is something to consider. And there are not a lot of options out there that are even in the realm of affordable. So I had found this place, which is in our state, a little over an hour away. And then the other place I found was in Oklahoma that I was seriously looking at. We live in South Carolina for people listening. So it's, that is really something to think about and consider that the resources do not always abound, especially not maybe the right fit for your child. So that was a whole other struggle trying to find that. I was very stressed. You really didn't want him in like a hospital or like a locked up setting. And um, yeah, that was a lot for you too. Yeah. My, my son's stuff is not so much like dangerous behavior. It's more just, uh, depressive and kind of shutting down and defiance. So it doesn't necessarily fit the bill for a lot of the hospital type settings. So I had to find something kind of in between 
which was the process. It's really crazy slash cool slash sad. Um, <laughs> the this is just the way this all works. Um, the commonalities that we found in our just our children's trauma and how they react. Mm -hmm. So our three children, basically their meltdowns usually start all the same way. And they usually start just not talking, (laughs) just like Mm -hmm. just silent. Yeah. Yeah. Shutting down. And obviously they progress at different levels and and sometimes they stay shut down for a while. And sometimes they implode. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, where's it going to go today? We don't know. And just, it's, and going off that, I guess, into a more positive note, it's really cool to see their traits that come out and how they're so much alike, and duh, mm-hmm. they're so much alike, but they didn't spend most of their life together. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool when we when we share or we all hang out, like, oh, she does this too, or oh my gosh, that just must be in their DNA or whatever. It's, it's really neat, and I think it's so important for our kids to have that, like right now. Your son and my daughter are downstairs, probably... Playing so hard that one of them is going to cry soon because that's usually, usually what happens. Your daughter. <laughs> that's usually my daughter. Usually that's what, the ha- what happens. But I get, I think just experiencing this together, even though Patricia's, our situations are really different most times, um, it's cool to be on that commonality of, hey, mm-hmm. I kind of know, I kind of can understand, or, you know, our kids are similar in some ways, but. And I guess one more question with that whole thing that I would probably be wondering and I wouldn't know about if I weren't your friend, (laughs) because I've really learned a lot from you going through that, is how do you deal with the idea of, or the reality of, maybe he won't come back home? How do you process that? Because I know there are many moms who are in that situation. like They don't know. Yeah. It was really hard for me at first and made me really sad. And I think something that I've just been learning through this process, and we are going to talk about this a little bit later too, but most of my experiences in the system, well, actually all of my experiences in the system have been with older kids. Mm -hmm. My youngest was nine, and the oldest that I've had in my home was 17. And they've been in between that with some of the emergency placements that we've had. And... It's such a difficult thing because when you get a foster placement, there's no kind of looking for a fit. There's not a litmus test. (laughs) They just show up. And for people like us, we usually love them. There's there's not many kids, I think, that you could bring to one of our doors that we would just be like, we hate them, you know? (laughs) Or this kid is, we don't like this kid. So, but it doesn't always mean... That it's a good fit. Right. And I'm not saying sure. my son isn't a good fit for me, but I'm just putting it on the... Yeah. There's there's a level of participation. When you have a child, they don't wonder if they would fit better in a different family. Right. It doesn't even cross their mind. When you were born to someone else, and even especially if you've had many of your years with that other person, your mind does that. Right. And to really join another family is just as much an act of the child as it is with the parents. And I think I was naive in some ways of thinking that my desire to do that would equal his desire Mm. to meet me there. And I do think that he does have that desire buried under a lot of hurt and pain. I do think that it is there. But I think I overestimated what my 
desire could fix without his participation. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I have just the best way that I can in this moment, because I'm sure it might change as time passes, only been a few months. But I think that I've come to a place where I realize that I'm going to be his mom regardless of whether he decides to come home. And, I mean, worst case scenario, like let's say he doesn't even want to talk to me after he's 18, right? He doesn't want anything to do with me. That happens actually with a lot of adopted kids. They kind of disown their adoptive families. Even if that happens, it could be his 50th birthday, you know, and if he picks up the phone and says, I want to come home for Christmas, then I'm going to say, okay, come on. Yeah. You know? So I just have kind of open hands. I'm here. I love him. I want him to be here and be a part of our family. At the same time, I respect that there's some reasons why that doesn't always seem comfortable for him or it might even be painful. And he needs the space to come to terms with it on his part. I've done my part. Yeah. I have peace that I've done my part. And so now I kind of... Back to more waiting. Lots of waiting in this process for me. One time I prayed for patience when I was young. I regret that decision. He'll give it to He'll you. He'll give it to you. All right. Moving on. Moving on. What's next? Moving on what's next is another thing that we share. Actually, the only thing that our kids do share. And that is their mom. And that has been something that actually has been really cool in the process of my older son not being at home right now, is that that kind of facilitated the contact. I started having contact with their biological mom, and she has come to a couple of my younger son's sporting events, and she has been on talking on the phone with my older son. They had talked on the phone a few times prior as well. But we've really started to build a relationship. And I'm really grateful that both my sons are having the ability to do that separately because they're very different and they're, they've been able to begin to f- not form because they already had a relationship. Reconnect to that relationship in their own way. And I do think that's something that's probably hard for a lot of kids is just the pressure of having these moments when they have a lot of siblings yeah and and how they react yeah feeling like they can't react certain way or they they have to react react a certain way because well my sibling feels like this and I feel like this um so that I was honestly nervous about that as much as I didn't want to be I was nervous I don't even know what I was really nervous about I told my younger son I was nervous said why you don't need to be nervous. I said, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how you're going to feel. I just, I just don't know. How, I don't know how she's going to feel. And I think he just said, it's, it's going to be fine. We'll be fine. I said, okay. And it was fine. I was able to have dinner with her one night and just connect. And it really was kind of a blessing to me to see how she has prayed for me and how she has wished well for her kids in our family and how she considers me family and I consider her that as well. And so that has been kind of an unexpected blessing that has come out of this mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I think so too. Since my daughter is younger, it's probably going to be a longer process for us for that because my daughter 
Um, doesn't really remember her birth mom, to be honest. Um, she remembers her a little bit from visitations, but she doesn't have as much face-to-face -face time as Patricia's children do. So I have mentioned her birth mom before to my daughter, and, you know, I, I especially try to bring her up around birthdays and stuff like that and um, try to normalize it as much as possible. And after Patricia started having contact with the birth mom, I thought, well, well, I don't really know why we're not having contact with a birth mom. At least the adults, at least myself and my husband. And so I I um, talked to my husband about it. And he's like, yeah, I think that'd be a great decision. So I've reached out to her and we've been talking a lot. We haven't got to meet in person yet, but I mean, we've met before. <laughs> but we haven't got to connect after this, after the rights had been terminated. We hadn't really been able to connect at all, but... It's really cool to share that part of our story because it's not talked about enough and it's scary. I mean, before we were more open to it, I remember at the beginning of our journey, we had talked about and just talking about, <laughs> gosh, like that's scary. You bring this child into your home and you establish this connection and you're the mom and now you're going to give them this chance to go meet their birth parents or their birth mom and what are they going to think and... And um, I think we're at a point during our first podcast episode where we had talked about that. I think where we had talked about we don't own these children and they're not our possessions. Mm -hmm. And so I think just over time, God has really softened our hearts to that. I mean, and obviously, once you have the child and you see their needs and you know that this child has somebody else, you know that they have this birth mom. I mean, they're, and she's here you know that that connection at some point, whether that's now or a few years down the road, is going to be really important to that child. I mean, it's part of their identity, just like we would never keep them away from their siblings. I think some people question, like, well, don't you think that's confusing? Or don't you think that... No, I don't. I think it's more confusing to know you have siblings or a birth mom around the area, and, and for some reason you don't see them. I think that's way more confusing. And I don't want it to be this thing where my daughter is like 16 years old and I say, okay, now it's time to meet your birth mom again. That's just not fair to her. And so I do not think she's at a place right now, my daughter, where it'd be healthy for her to meet her birth mom. I do think it's really important for my husband and myself to just establish a trusting relationship with her first. And then, then talk to my daughter about that relationship later and see if she's interested. And when she is, that option will be open to her, of course will be safe about it and smart, but honestly, the birth mom has been nothing but grateful, and we don't go into that seeking that appreciation from anybody, even our children, but to hear how grateful she is and how at peace she feels with her decision because she trusts us and loves us as people and parents, I mean... Without that, I think I would have a lot more anxiety and fear um, about having her enter our lives. But I, I don't know. I just, I trust her and I trust the relationship. And I'm excited to see how it moves forward. And I'm excited to show that. I'm excited to show that to other people, for other people to witness that because it's really important. And, and, and not all situations render itself this way. So there are situations like if the birth mom was not in a healthy point, you know, or healthy for the children to be around, then that would be a different story. Sure. And so there are those cases. Um, but I think if it's there and it's healthy for people, I don't see why you wouldn't pursue it. Yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of, I think, like we talked about, 
fear and like possessiveness and competition, which is really goofy. Mm-hmm. It's really goofy. I I tried to tell the boys from the beginning that you just have two moms. Mm-hmm. There's you have two. That's kind of weird, maybe, you know? It's we don't have the typical family. Right. I've just kind of always painted it that way. Yeah. This is not the typical family. We're never going to be the typical family. And that's okay. We kind of just have to own it because that's what it is. Like, yes, I'm probably too young to have even been your biological parent. <laughs> but you know what? It Here is I what am. it is. Like, I, you know, I'm sporty and I can probably take you down. So you get that too, you know. There's bone, There's pros and cons to this arrangement that we have. Um, but overall, I I am very excited and hopeful just to see how all of it comes together and I have read enough memoirs (laughs) of adoptees I am not an adoptee but I've read enough to just feel the collective experience that when kids feel like their parents their adoptive parents are hiding or trying to keep them from their roots it's bad I've never read a story where they're like, I'm so glad that my parents hid mm-hmm. stuff from me, right? Or kept me away from this person. And you know what? It's been cool because she's been able to send me pictures of my daughter when she was so little. Mm-hmm. I remember writing a blog post about wishing I had seen her when she was little, like Kaysen was, when, after Kaysen was born. Maybe I talked about it here, but I, I wish I had seen those moments. Mm-hmm. Thought that I wished to take them away from her birth mom, but I just wish I was there to see them. And now I'm able to see that, and she's able to see my daughter. I'll send her updates. And I just know if that was me, Mm -hmm. what relief a picture would be, what relief a text would be about, oh, she's doing great in school, or she's doing this. She's really into Mm -hmm. music, or she'll ask me, does does she still do this? And I'll say, yes, she does. And it's so cool to see how her DNA and our Influence has molded her into this really cool person. Mm-hmm. It's been really neat. Yeah. It's cool. So we're, we're really grateful for that. Um, that's been a new positive for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both also had some emergency placements. Ugh, guys, they do not stop calling. Okay. <laughs> People think I am exaggerating when I tell them that, okay, we're in South Carolina um, we're close to Charlotte, also close an hour to Columbia, South Carolina, which is where most of our, I think I can speak for both, but most of our placements come from. It's about an hour away. Um, I'm not kidding. At least four days a week, somebody calls me and asks if I can take a placement, an emergency placement, a long-term placement, whatever it might be. Um, we've said yes maybe four or five times since maybe I even record. We, we updated you last, but... Um, a lot of emergency placements, so those are just a night or two nights over the weekend. Um, we've had, most of ours are younger. Patricia gets all the older ones, and we seem to get the younger ones. I just had a 16-year-old for a night, so that was our oldest one. I felt, oh, finally, a teenager. Um, but only for a night, so it was doable. But yeah, we had a four-year-old. It was supposed to be an emergency placement. It was right before Christmas, and we ended up keeping her for two months. That was, we both had a longer-term placement, an emergency-turned-long-term placement that kind of really challenged us in many ways, in very different ways, but challenged us both. 
And mine was a difficult situation for me. And it kind of links back to what Patricia was talking about earlier, where even though it seems like it could work, it's not always the best fit. It doesn't always mean it's going to happen forever or that it's a forever placement. And it didn't end up being in it. And I'm so glad God took the choice away from me because I was struggling about that choice. I'm so glad that God made that somebody else's choice. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. But I, this this little girl was like, Almost perfect, okay? She was so cute. I mean, so cute. Had the so mo- cute. Adorable. Thank, thank you. So <laughs> cute. Wanted to steal her the first day. Yes. She had this little weaselly voice. It was so adorable. <laughs> and, you know, she gives the best hugs. Yes. And kissed me on the mouth. <laughs> grabbed my face and kissed my lips. I was like, okay, she we're She was here. the liveliest, happiest little girl I think I've met. Because remember, when my daughter came home, it was not about, happy. It, we didn't really have a honeymoon, okay? It was a year of not happy. So I was like, wow, wow, this, this, is, this is what some kids could be like. And, you know, she just <laughs> listened and she wanted to please. And it was really weird, guys. So I'm going to be honest. Like, I got angry because she wasn't angry when I yelled at her like my daughter was. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Because my daughter, when you get mad at her, she gets mad most of the time or angry. And this little girl, she just cry and, and just be honestly disappointed and unhappy that she disappointed you and I I didn't know how to parent that because I, I thought oh I had a four-year-old before that's that's the age my daughter was when she came home and <laughs> it was a totally different parenting experience and I had to pray every day about softening my heart towards her I don't even know why my heart wasn't soft I don't know it was really confusing but anyway she stayed for a couple months and it was good for me. It was good to see, like, I'm not ready for another forever. And God made that apparent and made that choice. I thought I was going to have to make it. I was like, I don't know what to do. If I don't keep her, what are people going to say? Because she's not bad. She's a really good kid. And she fits good into our family. And I, I'm just stressed. But I don't really think it's the right decision. But I was so afraid of what other people would say and what other people would think. Because I think a lot of times from other people's perspectives, it's like, why wouldn't you keep her? Or a lot of the times people are like, I don't think I could do that. Or, you know, just justifying. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't have to justify. Justifying why we wouldn't have kept her long term. And um, that was really, really hard. And I think after that decision, my husband and I kind of came um, to the conclusion that we were just going to do short-term placements for a while. And um, maybe later down the road, once our children are older, it just... I mean, we both work full-time, so it's just, if I didn't, then it, I think it would be different, but I just, we already struggled with mom guilt, and I just felt bad dividing my time between three, dividing my two and a half hours in the evening between three kids was, was really hard, so three younger kids, that was rough. It really helped me realize that I was just, let's do emergency placements, there's, it's not a smaller contribution to foster yeah, care and adoption. It's a need. And what we mean by emergency is they a kid might come into care or be transitioning mm-hmm. um, from one placement to another placement. Or they may have to be removed from a foster placement or from their home. Mm-hmm. And they need kind of a landing place while they identify a longer term placement. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is very difficult to locate. Yeah. I'll know, especially for older kids. Right. The older kids, pretty much, they're going to group homes. Right. There's not a lot of foster families that are even 
open to teenagers. Um, but there's still a good share of younger kids that are coming through as emergency that they can't find immediate Especially on like a Thursday or a Friday. Sometimes they're calling me at 11 o'clock at night. The other mm-hmm. night I had a call, I had a voicemail at 11 p.m. They called me and told me a boy just came into care, a 17-year-old boy. They somehow find me. I did not answer. I was dead asleep, and I did not call back. I'm horrible. But they, you know, that was 11 o'clock at night. And several of the ones we had, we got late-night phone calls. One time I was up until 1 in the morning waiting for them to bring this girl. And then I told them they had to pick her up at 8 the next day because I had to go to work. Poor girl. I said two words to her. Hi. Yeah. Welcome. You You need anything? And she said, no, thank you. And she brushed her teeth and went to bed. And in the morning, I said, bye. I don't like those because I'm I'm a two on the Enneagram. And so I'm like, I need to have personal deep sharing time with every child. I tried that with my last one, the overnight, the 16-year-old girl. After she ate, I sat down there with her and said, so... Tell me about your life. We only have a couple hours together, so... She didn't, she didn't open up? She did. She did. I just had to prompt her. She didn't... She said she was hungry, and then she didn't come out... Come down. See, there's a little things, I think, sometimes that we don't think about foster care. She said she was hungry, but didn't come down for dinner because my husband came home. I think that made her nervous. And then everybody went upstairs, and then I figured she would come down, so I went up to her room and said, hey, everybody's... You know, their dinner's still on the table if you still want to come down. Then she came down, then I followed her. <laughs> and then I asked her about her life, and then she opened up. But yeah, mm-hmm. but then it was like in the morning she had to be picked up at like seven o'clock because we we're out of here by seven o'clock every morning. So right, poor thing. Yeah, so we had so I had that one nighter, and then I had two other that were shorter. They were one to three days mm-hmm. placement. The first two that I think were with me. One girl was with me. I think just one night, but it was like a full day, and then the other kid was with us for, like, a long weekend. Both of them begged to be adopted by me and literally were like, I'll be good. Mm-hmm. I won't talk back. Please adopt me. And you don't know the pain that this mm-hmm. heart felt to have to say that I just couldn't. And, and I knew in both those situations, actually God did give me wisdom, that neither of those two situations would have been good long-term fits, even yeah. though I, I did love those kids mm-hmm. and think they would be great fits in other people's families. I just could tell the dynamics of my other two with them would not have been good for the long term. So we had those. Those were both just really sad, just the fact that these kids were, like, yearning and begging for somebody to keep them, kind of like they had to give me a, like, here's my resume for why I want right. to be your child. Please don't reject me. And that was really heartbreaking. And then we had a placement that was a weekend placement that we ended up telling them that we would like to extend it. We were originally told that he would go be going to his family um, shortly. So we didn't think it would be very long anyway. And he didn't want to go to a group home. And we thought, well, why not? Why can't you know? Why can't you stay? With us. Very respectful. Very grateful. Poured his soul out to me. I, I just, you know, if you, have, if you ever just have like a soul connection with somebody, me and him had that the first night. There was just connection. We bonded. And I loved him. I just, the first night, I was just like, can we keep him? <laughs> I just loved him. And still do love him. If he ever listens to this podcast. I still do love you. 
It was a journey process. He ended up not going to his family um, right away. Don't know if he's still well. That's still in process. And he ended up being with us for three months. And that eventually we had to ask for him to be moved, which was also the same week that my older son left. So I'm going to call that the week from hell. And that was excruciating for me. That might have even been worse for me than my older son. Because by the time I got there with my older son for him leaving, it was kind of like months in the making. And it was honestly like a relief because we had just been struggling for so long. And with our foster son... It was like we were really trying to not have to do that, Mm. but we just felt like we didn't have another choice, and it really broke our hearts because we didn't want to do it. We just really didn't want to have to do it, Um, but as we got to know him, um, really bad PTSD, and then, again, really struggles with receiving parents, never having parents before. And I'm young, y'all. I'm not even... I'm 10 years older than this child. I I don't have a ton of parenting experience. The kid was a big kid and very strong-willed. And I was... You know, we were also dealing with a lot of my older son's stuff. Oh, she was, they were through the ringer. They went through the ringer. It was, it was rough. It was a rough time. It was a rough time. And unfortunately, and again, this is kind of... Again, it comes to this piece where... It's part of the parents, and it's also part the kid. You know, mm-hmm. if he had come to our home and we didn't have other kids and we weren't stressed out of our minds right. already, it might have been a different thing. We, maybe we would have been more available. Maybe not. might have been the same thing. I don't know. But where we were and then where he was just with struggling, kind of testing limits, acting out in different ways than my kids do, more like typical teenage ways where my kids – are kind of a little immature socially, so we weren't dealing with as much of that. We just It just became more than we could handle and manage. So we had to ask for him to leave. And so two kind of disruptions in one week. Struggle bus city. Um, But I do, I still consider him a son of mine. I pray for him every day. I think about him every day. I talk to him almost every day. So we're still very connected, and I'm grateful for that. And it's been another thing having to process and really believe that God doesn't make accidents. Because a part of me is like, why did we, why did you even put us through that? You know, it almost feels like that was just harder on us and harder on him, you know, that we love each other, but we can't be with each other right now. You know, why did we even have to go through that? Why do you do this to me? (laughs) That's what I feel like to God sometimes. Why do you do this to me? But I can even just see now that the impact that we were able to have in a few months, I do believe that it mattered for his life and hopefully for his future. You know, we are, we do still have contact and, you know, I plan to continue to have contact. I love, I love him just like he is a son of mine. You know, I've never needed a piece of paper. I have several other unofficial children <laughs> that I claim. Lots of them that don't even, might not even know that they're claimed, but they are. <laughs> and 
So that's been cool too. Just and you know that's really just a part of this whole foster and adoptive thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just really have to put your hands up and say, I don't know what you're doing, or why, or how right. you're going to do it, but I'm available, and I'm going to be present. I'm going to do what I can for these kids. And I'm going to also be able to know what I can't do. And that's yeah. been the bigger part that I've had to learn is what can't I do. And now we're in a place where we have put ourselves on hold. Refer to the fact that they still call me. Even though I'm on hold, they still they, they, they literally, stop. They they literally stop. call me. And they say, uh, we know you're on hold. <laughs> but, there's always a but. But, we really need a place for this kid. And I have said no. I have said no to four or five things. Kids, not things. See? This is where I struggle. And it's been very, very hard for me. Yeah. But I feel like I have, we have just needed to Mm -hmm. breathe. And that is okay. And I think a lot of people who do this are like us, where we just never feel like we're doing enough. And I finally feel like I'm getting to a place where I'm like, you know what? I do do enough. I do do. I do do enough. I know. We were just talking about that. We went I do to enough. a Lauren Daigle concert together, love which was Lauren so Daigle. fun. She Thank was you, really good. Lauren Daigle, if you listen to this yes. podcast, we love she you. She was You're my spirit awesome. sister. In person. Just in saying. live. Uh, in live. <laughs> in <tired>. life. In <laughs> live. She was awesome. But we were talking about that there. We were talking about, dude, we adopted children. <laughs> yet we still struggle with thinking we don't do enough. We adopted children. We do this podcast sometimes, every six months. <laughs> every six months. We record a podcast. We do this podcast. We are advocates. Yet we still like to beat ourselves over the fact that we think we don't have enough children in our home. Yeah. And it's really not about the number of children in your home. We don't have to have eight adopted children right. to make a difference. We right. already have. I know that. And I, know I know that too, but I struggle. I struggle as well. I'm like, oh, we could do this weekend, we, Seth. We could do this weekend. Like, we could take these two boys for emergency placements. Like, mm-hmm. and Seth will have to like be my kind of anchor and be like, we are so busy. Our daughter has been struggling in school lately. My daughter has regressed since some of our placements. So we're reconsidering. We're trying to do like an elimination diet type of thing, <laughs> eliminating as many variables as possible to see what's at the root of some of her regression, but he's always like, are you sure? We have a lot going on this weekend, or our daughter's not in a good place Oh, my husband's just easier. He just says, no. (laughs) And then I say, okay. (laughs) He doesn't even give me reasons. But y'all, it's so hard. It's very hard. And I think... So if you're out there listening and you're not doing this, please do it so they stop calling me. (laughs) We need more people out there so that we we don't feel bad. (laughs) And because these kids need a place to sleep at night. Yes. Help both people in the situation. The you kids can be, and the twos of the Enneagram. You can be just an emergency <laughs> placement, people. And can, respite. Yeah, respite is like, oh, okay, so about that. say Patricia's kids, she's fostering, and mm-hmm. she needs a weekend, or she's going away and she can't bring the kids, or the kids need a break. She can then request a respite care for a weekend or a week, and so they could possibly come to my house for respite. Um, and so I did one of those, um, I don't even know how long ago now, but it was... It was Halloween. Oh, yeah. Because we carved pumpkins. It was October. It was. Good job. 
um, six, almost six months ago. Oh my six goodness. Months. Everything is six months ago. Um, two girls and it was awesome. They were great. And we just, we met them for the weekend and sometimes we see them at foster care events and stuff now. And it's nice to see them. And, and some, one of my lo- long-term placements from what, like a year ago now, she texts me, she's 13. And so it's, it's good to hear from her. And, um, but yeah, I think just going through this, I, when we were listening to our first episode, like, Patricia said, we sound like babies. We sound so young. And I said, I know. We sound so lively and just passionate. <laughs> I'm, here and I am we now we still tired. are, but now we are really in the reality seasoned. of it. Oh, yeah. So seasoned. We are really just in the reality of it, and we're not super experienced, but I feel like we've been through a lot of different situations between the two of us oh, yeah. to be able to just speak and share. And, I mean, we are – we – Gosh, we've just been through a lot. I mean, just thinking back from that day when we recorded that episode in the mm-hmm. closet, Patricia. Yep. Started in um, the closet, now we Started here. in the closet, now we're in the bedroom. We've just been through so much. And I, so I think just closing up, kind of ending on a positive note, I would say that I think we both, going back to your point, have learned a lot about our limits, mentally, our limits. Yeah. And and the limits for our family and that it fluctuates that it mm-hmm. fluctuates so our, our summer season is coming up my limit will be a lot different because I'll be at home than what it is during the school year I might be open or maybe I won't you know maybe I need to take a break maybe I'll be like no I just need to spend quality time with my children and that's okay mm-hmm. and so I think now that we're we're to that point where we can say okay this is our limit this is where we are right now this is our season you might get a phone call and you change your mind. Yeah. I mean, I've been there. I'm like, nope, not doing it. And then you get a call. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, that happens yeah. too. So setting limits, I think, or recognizing your limits. Yeah. And recognizing that even if you only ever fostered one child, yeah. even if, even though that's all you could have given, it's still worthy. It's still just as important as somebody mm-hmm. who has fostered many more. Yeah. Or respite, whatever you can do. And I think I think there are a lot of places where people are intimidated. And I'm not going to lie, you probably should be intimidated. It's intimidating. I mean, I'm serious. It's an intimidating thing. It is. But if you're intimidated, but you want to do it, respite would be yeah. a really good place to start. Because you don't, there's no even chance that that would turn into something longer. It's a child that's already in a long-term yeah. placement. They're just needing a breather, Right. Now, emergency placements, they do try to get you. They, they, they try do. To, they they try got to me. get you. They got me. They got, they got me, me good. They, they got, got me good. They got me. <laughs> but you can say no. So be, be able to say no on emergencies placements. But there are different ways to be involved and kind of ease your way into it mm-hmm. and get a feel for the system, get to know some kids that are really super needed. Now that we're talking about respite, I'm like, why didn't I ever do respite? I definitely I should have done some respite. No, they don't even talk about they it. They do really. not talk about that. Nobody not. said that to me all the times I said how much I was struggling. They never even <laughs> said you could just be said, emergency or you could just be respite. You yeah, can. You, you really can. can. Yeah. And for those of you who are still like, still have that thought in your mind, I could not let them go. You just have to get over that. <laughs> you, I mean, you this, can. You some can. of them you'll be glad. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you'll be like, you'll be relieved. Thank God you're here. You'll be relieved. <laughs> but. You will. You. I mean, how can how can we do this? I mean, think of the kid. We've said this many times before. Yeah. I mean, when you switch your perspective that way and think of 
Where are they going to be all night? Are they going to be in, in a the social worker's office? Seriously. Are they going to be in the social worker's office on a pillow and a chair? Or are you going to let them come into your home and sacrifice some of your feelings and fears and mm. say goodbye to the morning, cry your heart out if you'd like to for a day or two or a week, but knowing that they had somewhere to sleep that night or for two nights is well worth it. Right. Well worth it. Yeah. So think about it, people. Think about you, it. And you then, too could have all this. You too <laughs> could do go through anxiety. You could no, just kidding. But really, that it's, was a thing that happened. Yes. But I will say, and I really do truly mean this, for everything that I've gone through, if I could rewind the tape, I would do it again. Mm-hmm. I might do some things differently, but it wouldn't be any of the children that I've met right. and loved. I wouldn't not love or know any of them I would maybe respond differently and most of that just because I was immature and Mm -hmm. naive and just I just didn't know so if I could go back with my experience I would do some things differently but I wouldn't take back most of it and I do I did lose myself there for a little while from pure exhaustion and I feel like now Coming back to myself, I feel I'm a better, more whole version of myself mm-hmm. than I was before. And I feel like the future children that God will bring right. into my life, in whichever way they come, because I know they will, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be more ready for them and more equipped for them. And so I have to thank all the kids who are in my life and not in my life anymore for helping mm-hmm. me get there and I'm sure in another year and a half when we You'll do another update <laughs> it'll be the same situation uh, yeah I feel like such a better parent if I hadn't parented my daughter oh I would still be so so naive in my I feel like it's sped up it's made me like reach some of those milestones a little bit quicker and that can be intense because it's compressed but I don't even know what type of parent I would be I would not be as patient, even though some days I do not feel patient at all, but I definitely would not be as patient. I wouldn't be more in tune to children's and their feelings and how to respond to children's feelings just because of the training we've had to have and the conferences we've went to and the other people we've listened to. I would, yeah, I would not be where I am as a parent today without my daughter who I adopted. So, yeah, there is always the light that comes out of it. It's always worth it. Um... Always. Always. Well, thanks for listening to us blab for an hour. Um, hopefully. Will not be six months. I give yes. my Girl Scout honor. Yes, Girl Scout I'm honor. I'm not a part of that, except for the cookies. We are also wanting to interview our husbands, so oh, yes. which they have agreed to, if you all have any questions you'd like for them to answer about that, because <laughs> that would be an interesting episode. <laughs> our children are screaming. Um, so we should probably get back to them, but let us know if you have any questions. You can find us on Instagram at what they're worth. You can send us a message there or what they're worth at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Thanks for listening.